It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. Advanced B2B helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now, joining us today on the show is Alina Benny, SEO and content lead at Nextiva, and we're talking about how to create content that acquires high intent traffic that converts. Alina and the Nextiva demand gen team have grown blog traffic by 500% through a combination of hard work, consistency, and a set of high quality, systematic SEO and content practices. In this episode, Alina breaks down all these processes and frameworks, and after listening, you'll have a bunch of new ways to level up your content and SEO game, including how to do keyword research, a five-step framework for planning and outlining articles, three tips for better writing, ways to avoid making your content difficult to read, a comprehensive review and editing process, how to work with freelancers effectively, and how to overcome content decay by keeping it fresh through updates and optimization. Now grab a pen and a notebook because you're going to want to take notes for this one. So here we go with episode 54 of the Growth of Podcast with Alina Benny, SEO and content lead at Nextiva. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast and it's my pleasure to welcome Alina Benny to the show who is SEO and content lead at Nextiva. So Alina, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Thanks, Edward. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. And we are talking about how to create content that acquires high intent traffic that converts. Now, your role is really at the intersection of content and SEO. So to start things off, why build your content strategy around search? Right. Um, you know, this is, this is like one of those fundamental questions that um, a lot of companies still have a have trouble understanding, especially when they're just getting started with content. Um, for us at Nextiva, it really comes down to uh, three main things. Um, and that is why we're able to get more customers and like get more of a focused audience. Uh, the first thing really is authority, is to be seen as an authority in whichever industry you're in. So building your content strategy around that, uh, in our case, it might be voice over IP. So, you know, building content around voice over IP and publishing more um, in-depth articles or like any different types of content inside of VoIP puts us forward as an authority in VoIP. The next biggest, um, you know, reason why you should build content or your content strategy around search is definitely brand recognition. And, and the third thing I would say is... Um, probably link acquisition because you cannot grow as, you know, like a separate entity. You definitely need different people to link back to you. You need partnerships. You need to be mentioned all across the web for not just Google, but like even users to recognize you as uh, a powerful brand in whichever industry you're in. So I'd say that's why content strategy is very important. It plays a crucial role inside of, um, establishing you as an authority as well as gearing it towards search. It just makes sense because all of these things come together for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we could dig into your process and really open that up. So I think everything 
starts with keyword research. So how do you identify keywords that you want to target and rank for with your content that will, of course, attract the right audience? Yeah. Um, so to, like most SEOs or, um, you know, content experts would tell you the, the fundamentals of it all is keyword analysis. And the most simplest way to go about doing it is looking at your industry terms. Um, we do a few other things on top of it. Um, a couple of things being, I think, uh, pretty unique to us. Um, so apart from like, you know, if I were to go back to Nextiva's example, um, which is more focused on VoIP, there are, you know, even just like looking at any keyword tool that, and you, you type in VoIP, you get your basic thousands and thousands of keywords around VoIP and like different combinations and uh, permutations of that. Um, another way to look at it would be to look at your competitors, um, Keyword strategy, where are they getting traffic from? Where were they mentioned? What is their backlinking uh, profile looking like? Did they get any new mentions or links that we don't know about or we're not listed at? So that's the second way you could approach it, uh, which obviously is called competitive SEO. Um, and then there's the original creative ideas. You know, sometimes it may not be the keywords that are the most obvious options, but um, I feel like for credibility, it's important that you mix your keyword, uh, you know, target keywords with, uh, you know, original research. And then, you know, it could be around any sort of industry benchmarks that you want to set that can later be used for linkability, you know, like um, establishing yourself as a credible source so that later on um, you're creating content that can essentially get you more backlinks. And so that's where I, you know, we do sometimes uh, instead of just focusing on the industry keywords that we chase, we also look at ideas that could help us potentially improve our, our linkability angle. Um, and then what, uh, you know, comes up is I'd say content gap. So when you're publishing content on a, on a very regular basis and you've hit your, um, you know, baseline keywords, like all the obvious keywords that you should be hitting um, as a company in a particular um, industry or vertical, you start noticing, okay, you know, it could be from the people also ask box or like related searches uh, at the end of the search engines results page. You start noticing these other ideas that you probably didn't already cover. And that's where, you know, you start creating your next list of keywords, which is, you know, essentially the content gap keywords. Um, and the final thing that I really like and something that we strongly um, advocate at Nextiva is the, the, the you know, goldmine of ideas and like uh, potential keyword research that comes out of listening to sales calls. Um, because we're so deep into whichever industry that you're in, like as an SEO or a content strategist, you forget that your audience may not be as educated or about the industry and industry terms. So it's always good to like listen to sales calls and like answer those different questions that keep coming up. And, you know, that's where customer interviews or sales calls always give you new keyword ideas as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And there are so many good ideas and opportunities to create content based on what is happening in your sales calls. So I think for sure that's a, a great goldmine of ideas when it comes to content creation. And I think marketers often look at keyword difficulty and search volume when deciding what to target. So what numbers do you look at and how do you decide when you found something you want to go after? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
there's traffic and keyword difficulty, which, you know, like you said, are the most um, obvious benchmarks to decide whether or not we should be going after a keyword. But um, especially when we're working on organic landing pages or be it sometimes even uh, the content for our blog, we like to look at buying intent and how we look at that is the CPC. Um, again, it, it goes back to what I was telling you about whether or not these core ideas turn upon sales calls as questions. And then also kind of figuring out where we'd be able to place this content. So it's one thing to cover all your bases and cover all the different uh, focus keywords that you should be going after when you're in a particular industry. But once you've crossed that stage, um, you, that's when you start thinking more deliberately about where you're going to place a piece of content. Is this going to go into a nurture campaign? Is this going to be inside an ebook? Is this going to be a CTA on like a blog, which you're not going to get? So just kind of trying to figure out what the buying intent of a particular keyword might be. And if the buying intent is extremely high, I'd rather focus on that than spending all my time on a top of the funnel keyword that's not going to affect my bottom line at all. Um, another thing that we've recently been forced to look at quite uh, often are obviously the sub features. Um, whenever you have quick answers, whenever there are a ton of sub sub features that kind of take away from the click through rates, we try not to focus on that. Um, so we do look at some of the uh, CTR numbers, you know, what they're looking like and um, how that's affecting the click throughs. And this is another, I think it, it matters for B2B SaaS specifically, is that you, you see a lot of directories starting to take up more space on the search engine results page. So anytime, if, you, if I were to give you an example, um, that might be anytime you append the word software to any of your search queries, you suddenly start noticing a lot of different like customer review websites or like directory websites ranking. And we try to stay away from those SERPs as well, because um, while we might rank because of our authority in VoIP, it's not always, that's not really the intent of that query. So why try to, you know, hijack that? So I think while traffic and overall keyword difficulty uh, is the baseline filtering criteria, these different aspects also decide whether or not we go after a set of keywords. Yeah. Really good points. And moving on then from keyword selection, the next step is outlining and creating articles. So how do you do this to ensure your content is optimized for search and follows all the SEO best practices? This is one of my favorite questions uh, because I feel like over the few years that I've been inside of SEO and content, um, I haven't actually noticed anybody create a robust process for that outlining uh, you know, for that outlining process. So we were sort of put in this position where we had to create uh, a clear outline for, because we started working with so many freelancers, because I don't know if you know, but uh, the demand gen team at Nextiva is very compact. Um, it's the six of us and with Gaetano uh, at the helm of everything, he's the director of demand gen. And all of us have very clear roles. So we're not a huge team pumping out a lot of content. So we need all, the extra support we can get from our contractors and like the different freelance writers we work with. And the one way we've been able to ensure that we, we produce high quality content that is driving 
high-intent traffic to our website is by making sure that we do our part as gatekeepers. And the number one thing, and I think the most important thing too, has been figuring out that we need to pull our weight by creating airtight outlines for them. And I stress on this because in a very dry industry like VoIP, um, you know, it's not fancy. It's not like talking about social media or it's not, it's not like talking about uh, something that's more visual. VoIP is technical and VoIP can get very uh, easily boring. So even just to hook in your writers and like tell them, okay, this is where you go for research. And this is where, um, you know, this is the current content that we have. Our process is pretty thorough and I'm extremely proud of like the end result that we have. So I'm going to, you know, just to give you an example, there are two ways you can go about it. Uh, with some of our experienced writers, we don't really have to give them the full extensive outlines anymore because they understand the process. And um, I think um, Aaron from Aaron Orendorf from Common Thread Collective, he also talks about this type of an outline style. And this works for general B2B content as well. Why are you talking? It's basically three parts. It's the introduction, the body and conclusion. And the introduction, you go into the hook, you know, you, you present the problem, there's agitation, and then you hint at the solution. And part two, inside the body, you get into the nitty gritties, which is like, it's a repetition of subheading, definition, illustration, and how do you apply? And then you keep, you know, rinsing and repeating till you drive home or you cover all the different angles that you want to. And then the conclusion comes down to uh, concisely telling the reader what action you'd like to for, for them to take. And so, this is great when, when you're working with experienced writers, but I feel like when you're working with, say, onboarding a new writer, that's when I have something more in-depth. And, you know, I like to break it down into a few different steps. Um, I have about five steps. The first one I like to call mastermind is when it's like a very high-level view of what the topic is. So the target keyword, approximate word count, I don't stress on it too much. Um, at least like I don't, that's another thing. that's another red flag. I, I never, we never work with writers saying, okay, we're going to pay you per word. That's, that's a complete no, no for us. And, uh, and so the third part inside mastermind for me is competitor references. And then I get into the specifics. Uh, this would be, you know, the type of content and it could be anything from like how to articles or like a listicle checklist review, comparison post, um, roundup post. So just, giving the writer enough instructions about like what type of content we're going for. Uh, and then you could go into the headers and subheaders. You could hint at suitable people also ask questions that I can pull from SERP um, related internal posts that, you know, make sense to reference inside of this new post related keywords and topics that we need to cover inside of this post. Then the third part is the narrative. Um, Again, like what tone we want to go with this. If it's more bottom of the funnel, um, you know, it's just straight to the point. We don't need too many examples or like that doesn't, you don't need to beat around the bush too much. It's just straight, go into what the point is, present the solution and then get out with the CTA. And so the narrative then comes with like, what examples can we in uh, include stories and case studies, original research, expert advice, graphs, charts, illustrations, any of these things. The fourth part of the outlining process for me is all the different SEO factors. Um, I suggest headline options, meta description options, what the URL might be like, uh, external high domain authority links we should probably cite, other relevant internal links we should link to, 
the overall structure and formatting. Um, and I cannot stress this enough, but does it how to actually satisfy the intent of this search? You know, where in the funnel is it? How much should we be stressing the call to action? Things like that. And finally, the bottom line part, that's the fifth part of my outlines, which is the call to action and mapping it to the buying intent. So yeah, this is how I, I go about creating my outlines. And um, like I said, it, it comes down to which writer I work with. And so for most of my new writers, I, I make sure that I give them as much information as I can before I pass on a topic. Yeah, this is super good advice. And I love this framework with five parts. I think that's going to be really useful to a lot of people listening. So I hope everyone was taking some notes there. And then once you have a draft, once you've actually written the article, the next step is to actually edit that. Now, you actually wrote a comprehensive list of your editing and review process on LinkedIn recently. So I'd love, can you talk us through all the stages of how to edit your content before publishing? Sure, yeah. And this, again, is one of my favorite parts of the entire content production process. Um, and I, you know, this is, again, something that I built during my sales hacker time and then something that I refined uh, once I moved to Nextiva as well. Um, when you have a lot of volume of content going out, you may not always remember what, what the outline that you submitted was. So the number one step is to quickly skim and see if the final draft actually meets the content outline specifications. You know, are we covering the core topic? Are we on point with the intent? And uh, do we have all the related topics and keywords in there? This is like a basic skim of uh, the final draft. Uh, the next step is, you know, just I never publish an article without at least writing three, four headlines for it. And I think about like whichever, uh, you know, if it like, I, I think about like different headlines for the for WordPress and different headlines for SEO. So, you know, those two are in two separate columns and I have that ready. Um, with the WordPress headlines having a little more leeway for creativity because I'm not writing for a search engine per se. And then come it comes to like, it comes down to making sure the introduction is, has enough of that, you know, is piquing a reader's interest. We don't really, it, it, I'd say it's very difficult to do that with B2B content, especially when it's not an opinion piece. So that's where, you know, all the different things that I mentioned under the narrative part of the outline comes in, where, you know, any examples, original research, uh, graphs or charts, numbers that you can come up with, just to kind of make the introduction count, you know. And one thing that uh, we've learned the hard way uh, when by scanning at a lot of different blog posts as well as even landing pages is that sometimes it's okay, especially when there is high buying intent to include your CTA, like whichever link it is that you want to promote or that uh, that should be the final action for a reader or user. You can hint at it in the introduction because not everybody's going to go through 100% of the article like you do. And sometimes people just want to get to the point. So we've started making it a habit to uh, talk more about the final CTA or even sometimes include the final CTA subtly in the introduction. I know it sounds counterproductive, but it's been very effective for us. Um, and the next important thing is which, when it comes to editing, uh, is also making sure that you have an article overview. And so including jump links, a huge game changer. I s still see a lot of uh, large publications as well as even B2B blogs ignoring this part. Um, nobody, like I said, is going to read your entire blog. So don't expect them to literally scroll down to every header or every H2 and H3 that you have. 
give them the flexibility of having it uh, as jump licks right on top uh, after the introduction. And making sure the editing part actually comes in to make sure that those jump links and the anchors for those are actually clickable, like make it interesting. And then it comes down to making sure that you have skimmable H2s and H3s as well as inline CTAs. These are the different elements that stand out from your body copy and you have to make it count. Like get creative with your inline CTAs and I would highly advocate for removing any intrusive CTAs. So no like overlays or anything, uh, especially when it comes to long form content. I find it very annoying. So we, we abstain from that at next year as well. Um, and it, you know, getting your numbers and sources and product offering um, again, only weave it in where it makes sense. And when you're working with freelancers or like any external writers, this is the part that I've seen um, seems to be a little difficult for most of them because they don't understand the product as much as you do. And that's where an in-house SEO or like an editor comes in and make sure that you're connecting the actual content and drawing a fine line between that and your product offering. Um, you have to be ruthless with readability. Uh, I'm a big advocate of these different things that I'm going to tell you now. Short sentences, active voice, and bullets. You can never go wrong with these. Um, you don't really see this in a lot of journalistic like, or like publications per se, but in B2B, um, this is almost like the uh, silver bullet. You know, short sentences, active voice, and bullets. So if you can keep saying that in your sleep, that'd be awesome. Um, I'm not a grammar expert, so over time, I've realized that I, I keep noticing similar mistakes from a lot of different writers. Um, so I make sure that I have like a handy list of uh, like a checklist item uh, sort of a thing for all the grammar shortcuts that I want to make sure uh, is covered for every post. Uh, things like, you know, removing occurrences of uh, phrases like in order to own, in fact, a number of these are all phrases that make reading very difficult. Uh, and so just immediately, I, I'll do like a quick search for these terms. And if, if they find a way somehow into the draft, it's gone. I delete them. Um, spelling out numbers from like one to 10, uh, making sure that, you know, uh, British English versus American English that you're covered there, things like that. Um, I have it as a grammar shortcuts that I make sure that every different post uh, goes through. And then comes like, you know, linking to relevant internal posts as well as um, linking to external high domain authority posts. This is important again to try and, this is a conscious effort to try and not be super self-promotional. Whenever you can quote um, external websites, especially like high domain authority websites that can um, give you numbers, it could be like an infographic, an image, anything. It, it adds to the credibility of the entire draft really. Otherwise it's just your own opinion. But this also shows that you've done research. And so those external links are very crucial. And when it comes to internal links, and you know, there's no better way to start ranking part than to show Google the connection between the different posts that you are putting out. So um, internal links, we I'd say good numbers anywhere between four to five or like four to six for a for like a thousand five hundred word post. Um, and this is another thing that uh, the next thing, what I'm going to talk about is I think a crucial thing that makes us stand out. And in fact, any blog, if you have uh, a lot of companies publishing a lot of different articles uh, and you feel like it's saturated out there, 
The number one thing that can make you stand out is original explanatory screenshots and diagrams. Um, and you don't even have to reinvent the wheel here. All the information is already out there. What you have to do is, um, you know, ask for a dedicated designer for your content team and make sure that you're giving them enough instructions to make sure you're building beautiful illustrations and diagrams to make your blogs stand out. And, you know, whenever you get those rich snippets, these pop up too sometimes. And, you know, that, that's a huge win. And making sure that, you know, you're wrapping up with a recap and a clear CTA. Again, uh, it's, it might seem repetitive, but like make sure your CTAs aren't all over the place, that you have one consistent CTA and that you have a recap of whichever are the crucial points inside the article. And that's how you wrap up. Um, whenever I edit, I shut myself inside my room and I start reading out the draft out loud. This helps me sometimes even notice mistakes that I might have not if I were reading quietly. So, you know, that's a helpful tip that I think might work for people who are always editing or like have a ton of content to edit all the time. And as you probably guessed, like VoIP is very technical and I'm not a technical person inside of VoIP. Uh, I just, you know, fake it till I make it. So it's always good to get a domain expert to vet anything that is technical. Um, otherwise you're putting your brand's credibility on the line. So I'd say these are the different things that, um, you know, no matter what uh, vertical you are in inside of B2B or even, even in e-commerce or B2C, I'd say this applies. Um, yeah. Wow. That was a, so much good advice packed in that answer. And there were so many good points. I think especially there at the end about reading your content out loud. I think Drift had some advice when it comes to marketing and content and copywriting, where they said, if you wouldn't say it out loud, don't write it down. So reading it out loud helps you understand, is this something we should be writing? And I'd love to ask, do you create most of your content in-house or do you mainly work with freelancers and partners? How do you balance between the two? Yeah, so uh, we do a whole bunch of content, especially bottom of the funnel uh, in-house, just because we're the product experts and we know more about VoIP than our freelancers might know of. But um, because the team is such a compact team and because, you know, literally we have one dedicated copywriter and then it's all of us, uh, you know, having wearing multiple hats, we do have a team of like five, five to seven freelance writers that we carefully wet and have been us with quite a few years. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. And there are a lot of steps to this process. I mean, we've spoken about research, outlining, writing, editing. Uh, we'll come on to conversion rate optimization in a moment. So how many people are actually involved in this process? So from like the actual SEO gatekeeper, uh, which could be one person or two, depending on like the team you're in. At least with my team, um, it's most often me. I take on that role of the SEO gatekeeper. And my role is to... It, it can be anything from like identifying the keyword to go after, prioritizing the keyword, identifying the writer that might be best suited for this keyword, distributing the different keywords based on priority across the different writers that we have based on their skill level, project managing, uh, everything from like submitting the outline to them to uh, looking at like, you know, drop statuses, do they need any help? Absolutely no micromanagement involved. In fact, I wrote about that on the G2 blog as well. Um, the reason I love all the different freelancers that we work with is that they're professionals and they're amazing at uh, the work that they do. And so 
uh, as soon as we give them the outline and because we've been working them, with them for a while, they completely understand where we're coming from. And then to receiving the, the draft and, uh, you know, by then we had already submitted the requests for designs, any original graphics we might need, or would it just be the header? Do we need any specific animated videos for this that we can use for social? Uh, in, in which case we'd have to hit up the uh, animation expert on the team. Um, and then we work on editing and revisions that may come up, which is between me and the writer. And then if it is technical, I do get a technical person from my team who uh, then you know quickly goes through the post, make sure that we're not mentioning anything erroneous, uh, making sure that uh, everything looks good uh, in terms of like, tech accuracy and then it comes down to like uh pushing it into wordpress uh making sure we're on point with like structure formatting all of that stuff sometimes another person from my team takes that over because he's the html expert um and so you know he makes sure that our tables look good and our videos look good and then we hit publish and uh, if it is a topic that we think might uh spark attention then we do rally around it on social we talk about it you know we use the different animations i told you about on twitter we talk about it on uh, linkedin without sounding overly promotional we sometimes use it as you know in our pitches uh for different partnerships with other vendors and things like that so um but yeah in any process it's the demand gen team that's working on it and at nextiva that's about six people doing this oh that's really cool to hear and once you've edited your post, so jumping back to, to where we left off, it's time to publish. And the goal with all traffic is conversion. So you've planned everything in advance and thought about relevant CTAs, but what CRO tactics do you use to increase conversions once people land on your site and your content? Yeah, um, this is where I think it's, it's one of those things that um, you can either go really complex or you can just keep doing the things that are the fundamentals over and over again to see is to start seeing results. I'd say Nextiva is the latter. We don't have a huge CRO tech stack. You know, we, we don't use some of the larger vendors like Clearbit or like we don't have an ABM tool at the moment. Um, I'd say we're, we're not there yet, but uh, in terms of the CRO tactics that we do use, be it for our blogs as well as landing pages, we have a few checklist items that I think we've been consistently using and experimenting with that have brought us results. So the first one is the most obvious, which is be it whatever page, you know, landing page, PPC page, or an actual blog article, make it easy. Like every sentence, every click, every action, just make it easier. And if it is a page with high buying intent, we always have live chat on it just to make sure that we're making, we, there are multiple places to convert. And uh, for landing pages and PPC pages, PPC pages, definitely we'd never have any external links, but on landing pages too, we never include too many external links so that, you know, we're not, we don't have a leaky bucket. We're not sending people to pages that are not optimized for conversion. The other thing, it comes down to consistent CTAs. Uh, it is great to have multiple points of conversion, but at the same time, you need to strike a fine balance. You don't want too many in which case people get annoyed because every button does the same thing. Um, but at the same time, strategically placing it in places um, 
that are based off of your heat maps, right? So when you keep observing your meet, uh, multiple, like say 50 heat maps or like even lesser, you'll start noticing where the drop-off points are. And based on that information, that's what you take back to your new landing page creation process. And then you know, okay, you know what? It makes sense to have a CDA right under pricing or I'm just going to have a CTA after this testimonial because we've just reinforced that Nextiva might be a good option. And we test everything. We test uh, every chat demo or like phone widget we have on a page. We test CTA colors and text. We test, um, you know, the forms and the number of fields. We test the videos that we have next to the form. So it, you will see us testing all the time, but at the same time, there's no, test fatigue either. So we, we try to make sure that we're only testing in batches and we try to make sure that we have enough time to execute on the changes of those tests. So if we know that there are three variations of a landing page and every variation has these different test variants I was talking about, you know, one has a video or like one has a different type of video, uh, a third one will have no video, but like a slightly shorter form. While it, not making the different tests too separate, you know, this is a good way to observe which page might be performing better. And another thing that we've started doing is to also launch surveys through Hotjar, um, just kind of gauging, especially when it's a new page that we've just published uh, or pushed live, just to make sure that, you know, we're hitting the intent. Were they expecting to see any other uh, different module on this page or was this why they clicked from an ad and landed to this page and they get, did this serve that purpose or did we miss the mark on that? So just asking those questions to have helped us figure out if we should add or remove any elements on a certain page. Um, social proof is huge. Um, even when somebody is just, even if they don't convert off of that particular page, those are the things that kind of uh, improve brand recall. Top logos that you have, top customer testimonials, any sort of videos, pictures, or even like GIFs from any large conferences you've hosted. All of these things are things that we use for our social proof. Um, easy form, you know, um, I've, I've seen forms that are like 15 fields long. No one's going to fill that out unless you have an autofill um, tool running in the back, but that just makes the page again, a lot slower. Um, focusing on FAQs for the page. This is, I think, something that's that we've been testing for some time too. Uh, just making sure that with PPC pages, like I said, sometimes we don't want to overdo it with a lot of content because we want to keep the page short. And this is where we found that adding FAQs to the end of the page, where you are uh, addressing important questions like, okay, what's the contract length going to be like? Am I going to be locked in for a while? Is there a refund? Do I get a demo? Um, how do I cancel? Or it could be anything specific like that to does a white phone, you know, make sense for me? Uh, can I use my existing number with your, you know, with your service? All of those questions. And the final thing that we do uh, focus on a lot is the mobile experience. Um, it's never the same, or we, especially with our crucial pages, we make sure that the web version is, if it's more expanded, the mobile version is a lot more compact, only has important, we hide certain images, we hide a lot of animations, just to make sure that that experience is fast enough and you know, is pointing people to the right CTAs. And I think, I think the final thing that I'd probably add is also to make sure that you don't have any sort of intrusive 
uh, layer, you know, intrusive like um, pop-ups because those are very annoying, especially for a page that is focused on conversion already. Like you have multiple CTAs across the page. I we were doing experiments and we I think uh, have most definitely identified that we will not be doing uh, overlays for a page that's already conversion focused. So yeah. Yeah, super good advice there. And SEO is certainly a long game. So how do you monitor the performance of a post and what are the KPIs you look at in terms of measuring success of your content? I I would say that uh, at Nexiva we try to we try to bucket them into four different things. So uh, a post or landing page or any asset could be a success if they fall into any of these four different categories. Um, and those are this, uh, is it a topic that's earning you leads, you know, high intense CTAs, eBooks, things like that. Is it a topic that that's driving revenue? Is it a topic that's driving traffic? Um, so, you know, we've, we look at snippets and rankings and click through rates. Um, is it a top topic that's driving linkage and uh, coverage outside? You know, and that's get, getting us a lot of backlinks back to Nextiva, uh, which then results in better co-marketing and link partnerships and things like that. So I'd say this is what we focus on most because we're in demand gen. I feel like um, we're one of those teams that are heavily focused on the bottom line for the company. Uh, we, that's why we don't stress too much on the MQLs. For us, it is most definitely, at the end of the day, how much MRR did marketing bring. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what it comes back to at the end of the day. And with a search-first content strategy, you often see what is called content decay when rankings and traffic can drop over time. So how do you update and optimize your older content to keep it fresh and keep it ranking? Yeah, and this might sound like a little repetitive if you've, read uh, G2's new post on content pruning. I mean, they said it very eloquently and it's pretty much the process we follow at Nextiva as well, uh, which involves pruning, consolidation and optimizing content and also combining that. I mean, there is no point doing all those things on a recurring basis uh, unless you also up your editorial standards. So I'd say these are the two pillars of uh, updating your content or like pruning your content. Um, you could measure anything from say sessions or time on page, uh, total number of backlinks to a particular page or blog post. Uh, does it have spammy links? Does it have low quality links? Uh, is the published date outside of a set period? Um, is it giving you any sort of meaningful traffic? All of these different things could be a determining factor to deciding whether or not you want to prune your content. Uh, and that pruning process could involve anything from deciding to backlog it for later because it's not high pressure. It could involve fully rewriting it because it, you know, the URL might be great and it has somewhat of a decent um, relevant traffic coming in, but at the same time, it, it's not on page one. So, you know, just kind of rejigging the whole thing to make sure that you're hitting uh, the right angles on that. So maybe a full rewrite might be warranted uh, or is it best, you know, is this topic not in your realm of topics anymore? Like uh, at some point next year, I used to focus a lot on customer service topics. That's not our focus anymore. So whenever we do want to write about customer service and talk about our products or link back to it, somehow we think about guest posting. And so you won't see us writing a lot about customer service on our blog anymore. And 
or it could be just about optim optimizing a post a little bit just to make sure that you know you're, you're maybe changing the focus keyword a little uh, small tweaks here and there to make sure that the readability is on point sometimes it warrants a full redirect you know uh, it's better that you you it might look like you have a lot of duplicate content and some outperform the others you might as well set up a redirect to from a low value page to a high value page uh, in other cases when you have a lot of related topics, maybe it makes sense to consolidate it to make a mega guide. That's part of pruning as well. And worst case scenario is when you're getting absolutely no value out of a post or a page, in which case you publish and prevent Google from crawling that page. Yeah, really good advice. And Alina, you've shared so much already, but is there any other final advice you'd share with our audience when it comes to content and SEO? Uh, <laughs> this is something that I probably tell myself um, every day. There's so much changing with search engines and there are so many updates coming out almost like every other month. Um, so I, I try to block out the noise unless it's, it's a huge enough of an alarm that, you know, we're seeing like rankings drop. So I would say don't obsess with that too much. Just make sure that you um, document everything that's working for you right now and make sure that you're repeatedly doing it. And like for us, the number one thing that's worked over the last two years and which has helped us almost increase traffic to the blog by around 500% is consistency. We do this, whatever I told you, like throughout this episode, we do it day in and day out. And every time we do it, like every week, we, we make sure that we're optimizing that process. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, super good advice. So do the work and continuously improve your processes. Well, this was super good. And we could now move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I will ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So Alina, are you ready? Yes, let's do it. All right, first question. What's the one book you would recommend others to read? This has to be a novel called The Silent Patient. I know this recommendation is a little unconventional, but I'm saying this because I read way too much B2B content and reading is my getaway. This is an absolute must read if you like fantasy thrillers. Nice. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Uh, oh my God, this was, this was difficult. Um, I have to say HubSpot, even though it sounds a little cliche, they were literally uh, my window to the world of SaaS. A lot of my foundations are from them and I still respect them for growing just as fast as any startup would in spite of them being so big. Yeah. Third question, favorite place to read about marketing online. This was a no brainer. Uh, it's TechBound. Uh, it's Kevin Indick's newsletter. I learned so much from his newsletter and it's an absolute, absolute must read for anybody who wants to uh, learn about technical SEO or like industry updates without getting too confused about all the different sources you might get it from. Yeah, for sure. Kevin is super good. So definitely plus one to that. Uh, fourth question, most important growth metric. Um, I can only speak to Nextiva. For us, it's always the number of leads to number of closed one. That's our metric. Great. And fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers. Oh, um, <laughs> I would say just because it, somebody's already executed an idea, you can't make it your own. Uh, I've always been one of those people, I think, uh, who beat myself up for not having a lot of innovative ideas. But then that's when I realized that 
I had the ability to take something that already exists and make it better. And I feel like that's what SEO is about. And that's what content is about too. And I apply that to my career as well. So that's what I would tell marketers. Just because someone's already done it doesn't mean you can't make it better. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Alina, this was super good. And thank you so much for coming on the Growth of Podcast. Thanks, Edward. This was, this was amazing. <laughs> thank you for having me. That was Alina Benny on how to create content that acquires high intent traffic that converts. And you can follow Alina on Twitter at Alina C. Benny if you want more updates on all things SEO and content. Now, before I go, I just want to say a big thank you for listening to the show. And I want to give a shout out to a couple of people who've left a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. First to Jay Barshop in the US, who said Edward and his guests provide some incredibly actionable and compelling content, highly recommended listening. And also to Rupert Bren from the UK, who said this podcast is amazing. Edward gets the most high caliber people to share their most valuable lessons on all things marketing, growth and SaaS. This podcast truly inspires learning and pushes all boundaries of what we think we know. So thank you both so much. And if you want to shout out, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and maybe I'll be reading your message next time. Now, as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency, Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are